Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, the chaplain at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is Anthony Haskin, the pastoral lackey at the Catholic Center. And this is Jared Kleinwechter, fifth year chemical engineering student at the Georgia Tech Catholic, Catholic Center. <laughs> Catholic. Well, he's not a are. student at the Catholic I, Center. I'm not a student at the Catholic Center, but I'm a student at Georgia Tech. Oh, I see. So you weren't like thinking of becoming a different religion? Or... No, 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 no. His trust lands are right across the street. It's tempting. I'll have to uh, tell Father Tim that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jared, tell us something about yourself. So, you're a fifth year chemical engineer for how long? Uh, one more week. One more week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, I've, I'll be done before then, but uh, I got a week until graduation, essentially. When are you going to be done? And I'll be done with classes uh, and my my stuff on Monday, but uh, I'm a teaching assistant in the math department, so I've got to grade final exams mm. next week as well. Luckily, their exams after all mine are, so I don't have to worry about trying to grade in the middle of studying as well. So that's nice. Well, that's fun. And uh, what are you planning to do after you graduate? I'm applying for a seminary for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anthony and I are going to be seminarian bros. That's right. If you get accepted. If. <laughs> it's a big if. If God wills it. That's right. If God day is fault. We know the problem. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> uh, well, um, I have just come in from horrible traffic coming from St. Pius High School, uh, trying to negotiate the fact that the the interstate has collapsed, uh, and I have arrived into a room prepped for a podcast, and I have absolutely no idea what we are talking about. Ooh. So, Jared, oh, who's Jared. on the podcast for the first time, I think. Very first yeah. time. Very first time. Glad Jared to be here. has chosen a topic and is prepared to do something with it. So, take it away, Jared. All right. So. What's our topic? Our topic today is, essentially, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? So once saved, always saved. Correct. Once saved, always saved. Is it a thing? How much of it is a thing? If you lose it, do you pray to St. Anthony to find it? That's the real (laughs) question. You always pray. I think you always have to, no matter what. (laughs) Because St. Anthony, he's always clutch. We Mm -hmm. know that for sure. He's a, he's essentially like everyone's patron saint in my apartment because we're always losing things. Nice. Um, but yeah, so talking about it's it's it seems to be more of a Catholic versus Protestant debate on can you lose your salvation? And sometimes, at least from my experience in the past, um, there's some confusion about what it means itself. What does once saved always saved mean? Does it is it do I gain salvation and then I can lose it and gain it again? Or is it like I gain it once and if I lose it once, then it's all gone? So, okay, wait a minute. Hold on. We gotta, you got to make sure we take it nice and slow. So, let's take so it slow. when you say trying to figure out what once saved, always saved means. Who's I guess the, maybe maybe more of... Is that or are you... What, what is it you want to talk about? I want to talk about the Catholic response to once saved, always saved. So, we have to first so talk about what yes. once saved, always right. saved yes. is. Okay. So, what is it? From what I understand, it's that at a moment in time, someone says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and then boom, that's when you're saved, and you're good to go for the rest of your life. Then when you die, you go to heaven. That's how I've understood once saved, always saved. Okay. Well, let's try... um 
let's try to do this the way that Thomas Aquinas would do it. So let's try to understand that case, make it as strong as possible. Okay. Before we, uh, it, before we say anything that's going to be contrary to it. Yeah, we don't want to so create rather any than, straw rather than So, because I think a lot of times what I hear is the lampoon of that argument turns into something along the lines of, um, so the person who believes they're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, then anything they do after that doesn't really matter because they've just, they've said that they believe in Jesus Christ and mm-hmm. therefore they're saved, right? So that's the, the kind of lampoon of the position uh-huh. that I yeah. hear. Um, I don't know like tons and tons of Protestant people, but I don't know anybody who believes that. Right. Right. Um, nor do I know any church that professes that. Right. So, um, they, they have some kind of machinations to get around that problem. Right. Um, but I don't think that's really the issue. Right. So, I mean, I know sometimes certainly, uh, I've heard the argument that, well, what does it mean? So you, you, as long as you believe in Jesus Christ, you can go kill somebody and you're going to heaven. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody would say that, right? right? So what would a once saved, always saved person say about the person who has professed faith in Jesus Christ and a year later goes and kills someone? I think from what I've heard from talking with people um, when I was you know, in a, in a non-denominational Bible study or, was that person never fo- actually believed in the first place, that their faith from the beginning was not authentic. So they weren't saved at all when they made their... Correct. That's That's been what I've heard most of the time. So um, I've heard the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So the whole idea being that if somebody has surrendered... So the whole idea of professing Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior is not just about saying the words, right? but it's about the full amendment of life that comes with that kind mm-hmm. of conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And if someone has not had that complete amendment of life, then the profession they made was not authentic. Right. I believe there's a a verse in Romans that's often used where it says something about, uh, if you confess with your mouth and and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Something like that. So it's definitely not just the So it's believe in your heart. You got to also believe in your heart. There's a conversion of Mm -hmm. heart involved in that process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the person who is saved doesn't sin. No, <laughs> is this, are, I guess are we still we're still on the topic of of what is the position that we're going to? Yeah, no, I'm trying to let's is, try to yeah. make it as as strong as mm-hmm. possible. So that's the next objection that, that someone right. would say is that right. So once the person has uh, once the person has accepted Jesus Christ and had this conversion of heart, I think this causes two new problems that we have to figure out an answer to. The first is. How does the person know they're saved? Like, what if 30 years later they do something that is terrible, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that whole time they weren't saved? Yeah. Like, what what's going on with that, right? Um, I think that's kind of number one. And then number two is how bad does the sin have to be yeah. before you're not saved anymore, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. So what what do you think? What would people say about those kind of things? Um. I would think they might use the same argument with that 30-year thing if it, if it's 30 years down the line and then they do something really awful like murder someone or um, something along those lines that then their faith from the beginning may not have actually been true even though it maybe seemed like it. 
Uh, I could think of maybe the argument would be that they kind of convinced themselves in their head that they had true faith and they would, they were going through their life acting like people that they saw who also had faith that was a little, was more authentic and they kind of can just convince themselves in their head. So it seemed like it was authentic faith on an outside perspective, but on the interior part where only God really knows for sure, um, it was not authentic. And then after 30 years, maybe it just took 30 years for that to come to fruition, for it to see that it was not authentic. So I think then we're left with the problem of either a person has no certainty uh, about their status with God, or a person has no freedom. So I'm saved, and therefore uh-huh. I cannot turn away from that salvation. Or I don't ever know whether I'm saved or not. Yeah, right. It seems like that number two is the is the conundrum that I've come across the most. So when you talk to people who believe in this, do they will they say something like that that I don't really know if I'm saved? I feel like I hear the opposite more often. Yeah, I feel like more people are more that profess once saved always saved are more assured of their salvation. The other night, I I came home. It was late at night, and uh, my roommate was watching TV in the living room, and we were just flipping through the channels, and we got to all the like religion channels. So you had EWTN, and then a bunch of um, like I don't know Hillsong and some other ones. But there was this one where it was like five Protestant pastors were at a panel, and people called in and asked questions. And the one guy called in. He says, um, at his service the past Sunday, the 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 minister had addressed them all as sinners and he took a he took offense at that he says you know i'm not i'm not a sinner anymore i've been saved because i have professed jesus christ as my lord and savior and then you know, the the five protestant pastors kind of went in to like what it means of being a sinner and none of them were denying that you know we commit personal sins still but i think the majority of people have that mindset of they're more assured of their salvation than this kind of unknown well, so it does seem maybe that it's like, yeah, I may sin, but as long as I'm repentant, mm-hmm. then then I think it's maybe more of a if I'm an unrepentant sinner, then I was never a believer in the first place. So I feel like uh, I don't know. I'm kind of grasping well, now, for straws here. Well, now it's interesting you say that though uh-huh. because th- that this seem... is this is why the conversation's so interesting. Yeah, because it turns out. The Catholic position and the Protestant position are a heck of a lot closer than most uh-huh. people. Think, Absolutely, I agree. Right, yeah. because what you just said was, if I'm an unrepentant sinner, that I'm not saved. Right now, then you related it to an event that happened that maybe I never was saved. I mean, we'll leave that part uh-huh. of out. Yeah, but I mean, frankly, Catholics would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right, if I'm an unrepentant sinner, that's why I was wondering. I'm not going to be saved. I was wondering <laughs> if like. Is this me and my thoughts kind of being projected onto what I think other people think? Or is this actually what <laughs> other people think? Because, yeah, I was like, uh, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. Hmm. So then the difference comes down to, I think, just a difference in the necessity. Well, and the necessity of the sacraments in terms of repentance. Like, obviously, most Protestants aren't going to go to a priest for a confession like a Catholic would to assure yourself of yeah. your salvation, so to speak. And so... The necessity of oh, I can, I can work out my salvation myself with God versus I need the church and the sacraments mm-hmm. to 
work out my salvation is more of a difference than the actual belief of unrepented sin. Well, what do you have to say about this, Jerry? You're the one that's supposed to be leading this podcast. Yeah. I, I think I have a pretty neat solution to the whole thing, but uh, <laughs> I let's, was, let's talk about what, what Catholics believe. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to, yeah, I was going to kind of start with what, what the, the, the other thought is and then kind of jump into what as Catholics we believe. Um, and the way I've heard it said, and I believe you, you talked about this in a homily maybe two years ago or so. Um, I gave out a diagram. Yeah, I was looking for you that. Remember that? I, I was looking Ooh, for it because I, I knew I still had it. But I couldn't find it. We had a, it was a Sunday when, for whatever reason, I was talking about this. I think yep. it might have even been during the Easter season. Hmm. And I decided I was going to talk about this because I had heard about something happening on campus or this, that, and the other. And uh, I made a diagram yep. uh, with a bunch of definitions and some scripture passages yep. and everything. And we passed it all out uh, as people were leaving. And yeah. people were listening to the homily. They're like, oh, that's really good. They took the diagram and like, oh, this makes sense. I had it. And I, I remember seeing it like at the end of that semester when I was cleaning up my room to go back home. And I was like, when I was throwing everything else away, I was like, I'm not going to throw this away because this is a good diagram. It's very good. Um, and I thought I brought it with me, <laughs> but apparently I left it at home when I came back this semester or last, last semester. But I want to see this. Diagram. So yeah, those are the times when you, you, need like a, you need a whiteboard in the sanctuary. Maybe yeah. we should add one of those. Yeah. What do you think? As long as it's, uh, as long as it's not um I wonder if there's taken... a, a rite of blessing of the whiteboard <laughs> for use in mass. Burn, it burn might it. be. You, I'm sure. I'm and sure you have you could... probably when the markers are done because they've been blessed, you, you have to burn, burn them. them. Yep. Mm. Yep. In the Easter fire. That's right. I like it. Something to think about. I'd be up for that. Anyway, uh, so the Catholic, from what I've understood, the Catholic perspective on this is... There's a moment in time where you're first, quote unquote, saved, which we believe is baptism. All right. You know, so we're already incorrect. Oh, rats. <laughs> okay. Well, should I keep going or should I let you correct me now? Uh, no, no, no. Just keep going. Let's, okay. see, how, let's see how bad you How get. bad I get. Okay. So from what I understand is there's a, there's a moment in time where baptism, we first are saved, where we get all of our, um, all of our sins washed away in, in baptism. Um, and then we have this process afterwards where we have to continually be saved where we're we're in this process of becoming more holy where we're starting to um dislike the sin that we do in our own lives and and try to improve that and and come to confession to receive the grace to overcome it and to be healed um continually along the whole journey of our lives and then there's a moment towards the end of life where we're finally quote-unquote saved of do we go to heaven or hell um that i have this hope that because i'm progressing and i i i'm attempting to do what god's wanted me to do that i will one day get get to heaven okay so we're probably going to use some different words all right <laughs> but uh I, I i see how your structure works i think we're just going to change some words a little bit go for it so what I think a good thing to mention when we're talking about this is the part of the problem is caused by the fact that St. Paul has a whole lot of stuff to say about this, and he uses words in very, very similar mm. ways with very subtle differences. Okay. Right? So words that we run across are justification, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm justified by faith, right? So justification, sanctification. Mm -hmm salvation, adoption, redemption, reconciliation, right? Like 
if I asked even a seminarian, I could probably ask like a, a seminarian or even a newly ordained priest to try to tell me the difference between all those words I just said. And they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. I could uh, do it. It's just, it's one of those things. It's not that you don't learn it. It's just that along the way, you realize the differences are so subtle and people tend to use the words interchangeably. Yeah. But when you get down to it, the words do make a difference, mm-hmm. right? They do make a difference. And so what we see, I wish I had my diagram because it's got all my, uh, <laughs> it's got all the quotes on it that establishes, but I don't, I don't have it oh. in front of me. But um, the way St. Paul uses justification is we can equate justification with the event that occurs at baptism, mm-hmm. right? That we're justified by faith, by um, this action that happens in the sacrament of baptism. So this is kind of moment. Now, can you lose your justification? No. Okay. Right? Because what happens at baptism is irreversible. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Then begins the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Right? So sanctification is the life that I live growing closer in uh, communion with mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Right? So this is a life of good works that I perform in the world and also the works of the sacraments working on me. Right? Um, so that's that life, and I progress in that in sanctification. And then salvation, so this is where it gets a little hairy, because St. Paul uses salvation, the word salvation, in two different ways, which is why it's so confusing, <laughs> Yeah. right? Is so it different it, in, like, the Greek? Are the yeah, words different? The word's the same. He uses it in different ways. Okay. So he means oh, I didn't different know. Things. I saw that. It's like if it, they both translate to salvation, or is yeah, it the no, same no, no, word they both in translate. That's, that's why it's tricky. Okay. Mm, gotcha. So he refers to salvation as the thing that happens at the end of our life. When we die okay. in the grace of God and we progress to the beatific vision, although he didn't, he wouldn't say beatific vision, right? Yeah, we progress right. to be with God. That's salvation. Okay. But he also calls the entire process salvation, mm. justification, sanctification, and then that event that happens at the end. Okay. So there's sometimes um. where he's talking about the whole thing is salvation. <laughs> Yikes. And there's sometimes that he's talking about the last event of salvation. Now, if we're just talking about someone dying in the state of grace, once saved, always saved? Absolutely, (laughs) right? I mean, once you're dead and you're in (laughs) the beatific vision, that's not going away. That's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. If we talk about the whole process is salvation, well, if what you mean is the thing that happens at baptism can't ever go away, well, then yeah. Yeah. Right? If what you mean is along the process, our life of sanctification, if what you mean is that I can never turn away such that the salvation at the end of my life would be taken from me, then that's incorrect. Right. right? Okay. Because the fact is I can turn away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can turn away from that. Uh, so that that's, we, we get into some, some messiness there. Um, but salvation for us and for our belief, um, we can talk about salvation being the whole process. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it being the end of the process, yeah, right? right? Salvation of our souls. I think that the the majority of the time it's that, that last thing at the very end that people talk about when they're saying once saved, always saved, is that I'm guaranteed that and salvation is what we're what people refer to. And I see how they saved. could come to that if mm-hmm. they didn't understand how St. Paul is using these different Correct. words, yeah. right? But when you get into it, 
It's just not what he's saying. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, because the fact is, any human being would affirm that no matter how wonderful Adolf Hitler's baptism was when he was a little kid, um, nobody thinks that when he dies that he's not going to have some serious things to answer for. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody would believe that. And so we run into this problem. It's like, well, so, and then uh, many Protestants would say, well, the baptism itself, that's not it. It has to be an act of the will, mm-hmm. right? That it's an act of the will for me to want to receive baptism. But even if Adolf Hitler had been baptized when he was 14 instead of when he was a baby, mm-hmm. it's still the same problem, right? Nobody would say that just because he did this at the beginning of his life that he doesn't have very serious things to answer for, things that at least externally from everything that anybody can see are the kind of things that would compromise his salvation. Yeah. Right. Um, no, nobody would say that. Uh, and I also don't think, I don't think people have really thought through the problem of kind of not knowing whether you're saved or not. Cause if mm-hmm. you say at the end, well, 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 if you say at the end that, well, Hitler, he clearly didn't accept his salvation, right? It was like, uh-huh was given to him and he thought he was saved, but then it turns out he wasn't. I don't think people really think through the uh, implication of following that kind of thought process all the way through mm-hmm. to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then you end up with a God who has gone to the extraordinary lengths to enter into the world, to save us from our sins, to open the gates of heaven to us, and then to give us absolutely no idea whether we're going to make it or not. <laughs> So people don't think like that. It's like Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Are you going to go to heaven? Who knows? Maybe. Right? Maybe. Yeah. We have no idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? It's going to depend on final perseverance and things like that. And uh-huh. this kind of stuff is complicated. You get into the theology of grace, and theology of grace is very complicated and controversial, and it is yeah. one of those areas of theology that people still argue about. Mm-hmm. It's not like settled historical questions. Like, it's still going on. Um so even these these basic questions like this, I mean, there's lots and lots more depth to all of them. Um, but I think when people understand what we mean when we talk about uh, salvation and when we talk about works and when we talk about faith, when they understand what a Catholic means, they don't disagree with it. Yeah. They just want to put different words on it. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, my uh, uh, sister-in-law. Uh, she's a Baptist and her, she's got a great family. Her father just passed away recently. And, uh, her father was, I mean, one of the best men I've ever met in my life. Just a great, great man. Wonderful family, wonderful life. Uh, he's a deacon in the, in his Baptist church, which does not mean the same thing it does in in the Catholic church, but uh, nevertheless, he was a a, a leader in the church and and a very, very good man. Um, that, we agree. I mean, we would disagree on terminology with stuff. Yeah. But in terms of practically how one's supposed to live and how one goes about things and even asking forgiveness, that he wouldn't ask forgiveness from a priest, but even asking forgiveness, all those kind of things, like what divides us practically is almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when we get into the question of actual theology and what we call things and this, that, and the other, the differences start to seem much bigger. Um, but from a practical standpoint, 
My experience is that most Protestants live a heck of a lot close a heck of a lot closer to what Catholics believe than they realize they do. Mm. Or they believe a heck of a lot closer to what Catholics believe than they realize they do. Okay. Um I mean it's definitely if you read some of the early Protestant writers, they run into these problems, right? Yeah. So like John Calvin's a perfect example of, well, there's this thing called double predestination, right? You're <laughs> predestined to heaven or you're predestined to hell. You don't know which it is. You can live like you're going to heaven your whole life, and then at the end, you fall away and you go to hell. God knew that the whole time, but you never find out, right? I mean, and you read it, and it's just from the very—this is like the very first pages of his Institutes of the Christian Life. Uh And you read it, and it's like, why would anybody keep reading this? Like, how is this good news? (laughs) How is this good news? Like, why is this— what? Why is this something God has come to, to tell us? I mean, Catholics know. We know that we might not make it. Yeah. Right? We know that you have to pers- – not only do you have to live a good life, but you have to persevere in that mm-hmm. all the way through. Yeah. Right? We know we have to accept forgiveness of our sins in confession and other ways. We have to do all of that kind of stuff. But we still know at the end it might not happen. But we also know if I do these things – God has already called me to heaven. I know that. He's calling me to heaven. There's no question about yeah. it. It's a matter of, do I do the things that I need to do with his grace that he's already given me? It's yeah. a matter of my response to his grace. Mm-hmm. It's so not it's, a question of, did he give me the grace in the first place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, rather than I can rest at ease that I'm guaranteed my salvation when I come to the end, but more of a, I know I have to do these things because that's the way that God wants me to show him that I love him. That's the way that he wants me to live my life as opposed to I'm, I'm kind of free to do whatever because, because I'm guaranteed it. It's like, it seems like it could be thought of as I'm working for it. You know, some, some Protestants may bring it up at that as a, as a counter to what well, seems like we're working for it, when, earning that salvation. we're earning that salvation right. because we have to do these things in order to, at the end of life, ha- get that salvation or be- receive that. Um, what's a appropriate response? I don't know. It's well, I mean, God's grace is a free gift, mm-hmm. right? It is a absolutely free gift. Mm-hmm. But so this gets into a complicated concept called merit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like that's another word that people don't understand the full understand or don't understand it fully or have So if you were going to try to give me a definition of uh, uh, the definition you think most people would have of the idea of merit, what would it be? It's like I did A and I deserve B because of it. Exactly, right? <laughs> so I did this, therefore I deserve some good thing from God, right? right. Or I did this, therefore I deserve to be saved, right? And so that's the accusation against Catholics, that we do these things, and therefore we're convinced that because we did these things, that God must do X, Y, and Z. Right. Which we would say is categorically false, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you mean by categorically false? Just as a category, the, whole, the entire idea that I can force God to do something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Except. Except when he <laughs> makes a promise? Except when he makes exactly. a promise. Yeah. Right? So that's the thing. When God makes a promise, if God says, you do X, 
and then I will do Y. If I do X, he has to do Y. Mm -hmm. God doesn't break his promises. He can't. So now we enter into this idea of merit. So then the, the point becomes, because God set the system up this way, I can't merit anything on my own. But if God has said, if you do X, then I'll do Y, then when I do X, I merit Y, right? Whatever it is that God is going to do, uh, that he's promised to do, he now will do and has to do as a result of the promise that he's made, right? Now, that that's a really important point. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, how, um, that's how a priest can be given the power to consecrate the Eucharist. I mean, like a priest... Like if I hold a piece of bread in my hand and I say, this is my body, God does not have a choice. He transforms this piece of bread into the body, blood, and soul, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's not because I have this power. It's not some great thing that I'm doing on my own merit and, and worth. Mm -hmm. It's because of the promise that he made. He keeps his promises, period, right? Even if I'm going to use the power he's given me in a bad or even evil way, he still keeps his promise, mm. right? He still keeps his promise, even if I abuse it, right? So if I become some witch, you know, I leave the <laughs> Catholic Church and I become some witch and I go and I consecrate uh, the bread and the wine to use in some sort of satanic ceremony, He's still going to do it, mm. right? Because that's the deal he made, right? Um, that's tough to think about. People have a hard time wrapping yeah. their head around that. You know, that God surrenders himself into human the hands of human beings. We can imagine it historically in the Passion. Right. But, but then it's like, well, yeah, but that happened, and then he became God again, right? He's now <laughs> kind of impersonal, big blob God, old man with a white beard who doesn't really pay, pay much attention to us, you know, that, that kind of thing. But no, he surrenders himself into our hands all the time. Right. And he gives us that power and that authority. Mm -hmm. So let's tie it back into salvation with, with meriting uh, salvation at the end of life. Right. So um, what we can say is that if a person lives according to the commandments, and I don't mean just the, the, perceptual commandments, not like don't do this, don't do this, but also love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor mm -hmm. as yourself. So, right, mm -hmm. you're living the life of perfection. Then because of that, because of the sacraments you've received, um, because of the good works that you've done, um, you have merited salvation. But you've only merited salvation because, because God, God set it up, set that, it up way. that way. Right. Okay. He has set it up that way, and that's why. I mean, because we cannot objectively, and aside from His structure and gift, we can't force God to do anything. Right. But if He makes us a promise, we can hold Him to it. It's like a contract, right? You don't have to enter into a contract to sell me widgets, but if you enter into the contract to sell me widgets, and I'm prepared to pay the price that we agreed on, I can actually force you to sell them to me. Right? I can take you to court and we can do all this other kind of stuff. But God don't have to take him to court. He's God. Like he keeps his promises. Right? Mm -hmm. He keeps his promises. It's a it's a strange thing to think about, right? Yeah. Um 
it's one of those things we can ask ourselves in that in that question of God keeping his promises. We can ask ourselves frequently why God does certain things, even though it might turn out to be bad. What's well, it has to do with God being God and doing what he does. So why does a woman conceive a child when she's raped? Now, God hasn't made any sort of promise to us with respect to, um, you know, this is always going to happen. But in his plan, like, this is the way things work. When sperm and egg touch each other, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times they're going to, it's going to be fertilized, right? And that's the deal. And he set the world up that way. And just because we violate what we're supposed to be doing doesn't mean he's going to violate what he's supposed to be doing. And that's really, really hard to understand. And that's a very aggravating example. Yeah. But yeah. it's the same. It's the thing. Like, God does the same thing all the time. Let's say you're the last person on the face of the earth and you have developed a terrible, terrible sun allergy. The earth is still going to rotate and you're still going to see the sun, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the way it works. You know, that's not, that's not him doing something against you. It's he designed the world to work this way. And this is the way it works. Now, can he intervene? Of course he can. But he doesn't always do that. So the structure that God has set up in the world, when he's made the world for us, when we learn how the world works, when we learn how grace works, we learn how works operate in the sacraments and, and then in just good works that human beings do, then we suddenly find that within the system that God has set up, uh, an intelligible system that I can understand, not only can I understand what salvation is, how it was won for me, how I can appropriate it to my life, but also I can actually have a, a reasonable or even absolute certainty of my salvation. I was going to bring that up because like, Protestants seem to be the ones that are more certain of their salvation, but I think from a Catholic perspective, like you have the easiest way of being like at least reasonably certain. Like, let's say I went to confession yesterday and I go up at mass today and receive communion. Like I'm stating with that, that I am in a state of grace at this moment. And if I were to die at that moment, like I would believe that I would, I mean, at least go to purgatory. Um, and be on my way. But purgatory, hey, you're saved, man. Yeah. yeah. You're, you know, you're, you're there. You got some street, purification. Right. You got More some than purification, likely go to purgatory, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know me. No, I think I think that's a really important thing. I mean, it's interesting you bring up communion um, in that way. But, uh, yeah, a Catholic who goes, who walks into confession, confesses their sins honestly and clearly and does not intentionally leave any out, mm -hmm. right? That Catholic walks out of confession, and if somebody shot them right as they were walking out of confession, they're going to go to heaven. Now, they might have to stop by purgatory first. That's a podcast for another time. Right. But they're going to go to heaven, right? Um, that person walks out of the confessional assured of their salvation. If the things that are in their control that's the thing. It's like God's promise is there. Give me your sins and I will forgive them. Right? That's what he's promised us. Yeah. 
Now, a lot of times we'll walk into confession and we won't say everything or we will intentionally hold something back or we'll say it in such a way that we don't really think the priest understands it, you know, super vague, you know, That's exactly right. going to be really vague or whatever. I mean, not uh, that you have to be super detailed. It's not like that. <laughs> we call a sin what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, kind of um, number. Exactly. You call a sin what it is. And if I do that and I don't hold anything back, no matter how embarrassed I might feel, I walk out of that confessional and I know salvation is mine. And that's what someone is saying to the community in the church when they receive communion. Yeah. I know that salvation is mine. Right? I mean, it is a public act, the reception of communion. Right? That's one of the reasons why it's, I mean, to talk about a podcast, it's sprawling all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's one of the reasons why it's so scandalous for people to receive communion who are very publicly not with the church. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then they receive communion anyway, and it's like, well, wait a minute, like what? What is it you're saying here? You know? Yeah. Um, or and also one of the reasons, I mean, that's that, that's not the main reason why why Protestants can't receive communion, um, but there's definitely an element in the middle of receiving communion where I say I'm making the affirmation that not only do I know that I'm saved, but I know that this is how it all happens mm-hmm. through this process, right? I go up and say the body of Christ and then say Amen. It's like I'm affirming that I believe all of these things, which is why somebody who is not Catholic can't receive communion. It's not because we're not trying to keep you out. In fact, we'd love to have you in. Yeah. If you're prepared to say that I believe all these things, welcome to the fold. Yeah. Right? You know, we got some paperwork for you to fill out. That's right. Yeah. Give you communion. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the way it works. Uh, but if you're not prepared to say that, then you ought not to receive communion because yeah. you walk up to communion and you receive it but with a lie. Yeah, you're not mm-hmm. actually believing. You're lying. You're saying, you're saying, I believe this, but I don't, right? Like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um. So, at any rate. Uh, so, as Catholics, we can say that I'm assured of my salvation in the sense of the way the Protestant will understand salvation right after confession. And even after that, listen, even, sins aren't a secret. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, sins are not a secret, especially a mortal sin, right? Think about the conditions for a mortal sin, that it has to be grave matter, which is defined by the church, yep. right? It yep. has to be grave matter. You have to have full knowledge. You have to know that it's grave matter. Yep. And you have to have deliberate consent. That means yep. you have to consent to this action and not just a, a mindless consent, but you have to have thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I have to have thought about it. I got to know it's bad and it's got to actually be bad. Yeah. If that happens, I know that it's happened. People don't accidentally commit mortal sins. Right. They might accidentally commit a venial sin. Right. And mm-hmm. they might accidentally commit something that's grave matter. But it's not a mortal but it's sin. Not, it's not a mortal sin. Or not even a sin. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Not even a sin at all, but it's still serious. It's serious. Right. So the example that I use. Uh, with people, again, a terrible example, but like I imagine I'm driving on the street in front of the Catholic Center, 4th Street, on a football day or something, and I'm very, very safe, and I'm being very careful. I'm driving very slowly, and a toddler runs out in front of my car, and I run over the toddler and kill the toddler. Am I going to feel bad for the rest of my life? Yeah. Probably. Yes. yes. <laughs> Have I committed a sin? No. no. I wouldn't say Not so. Not even a venial sin. Not if I'm paying attention. Sometimes accidents mm-hmm. happen, right? Yeah. Um, there's no sin at all, right? It's like toddler didn't commit a sin. Chances are the parent didn't. I mean, they're all, everybody's paying attention. Toddlers get out of people's hands sometimes. You know, it's just the way it works. 
Um, just because I feel bad about something doesn't mean that it's a mortal sin. And just because I don't feel bad about it doesn't, make doesn't it mean not doesn't make sin. it not a mortal sin. Right? right? It's not about how we feel. The criteria for mortal sin is a criteria that comes from reason. Right? Did I know and did I choose? And was it serious matter in the first place? Yeah. You know, so it's amazing. Like a, a Catholic ought to be able to say, if I die, I'm saved. They ought to be able to say that. Yeah. And if they say, if I die, I'm not, then they ought to be getting the confession. Yeah. Yep. Right? I mean, that's yeah. just the way it works. So it's interesting how he set it up. I mean, we we're talking about this kind of absolute certainty that people have uh, with their salvation combined with a the theology that seems to suggest that you could never be certain, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then we have the Catholic view that the theology is a little more complicated, but from a practical standpoint, a Catholic ought to go through life knowing whether or not, if I were to die at this moment, am I going to go to heaven or am I not? Mm-hmm. Or at least to purgatory or am I not? Now, whether I'm going to go to purgatory or heaven, that's something probably nobody knows. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah. But am I at least to the point, am I over the threshold where I at least get a, a pinky toe in purgatory, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, Catholics ought to, they ought to know that at any time, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if we want to go down this road or not, but what if another hypothetical, someone who's convinced themselves in their head that they're going to heaven, but in reality, maybe they, they're, tr- they're trying to justify a mortal sin, let's say, like, Oh, I really didn't know, but I well, actually did. Well, it depends, did. right? So if someone if someone is really aware, but because they just don't want to have to confess it or they just don't want to have to stop, then they convince themselves and they convince others uh, that it's not that serious, well, then that, that person's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Right? Um, but there's other cases in which people can do things that, Everybody thinks to themselves, this guy, this guy had to have known this wasn't, this yeah, wasn't yeah, right, yeah. but not necessarily. It's amazing what human beings do, what kind of ignorance human beings have uh, in different areas of our lives, you know. So um, the only person who can really know is the person themselves. Right. And that's only if they have a well-formed conscience, right? We have a well-formed okay. conscience. We can kind of figure it out, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm good or I really, really ought to go to confession. <laughs> You know, I mean, nobody ought to go to bed at night thinking to themselves, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to, to heaven. Yeah. Um, and even then, you know, the other thing uh, we started off by saying an unrepented sin, even someone who goes, you know, you get to the end of the day and you think to yourself, man, if I die tonight, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. That's when you repent of your sins, right? You make the resolution to go to confession as soon as possible. But at least then you've done everything that you can do in that moment. Yeah. Right, you've done everything that you can do in that moment, um, and the church has said for a person who's truly contrite, they've really repented of their sin and they're really ready to give it up. Um, then that person in that kind of situation, in between that repentance and they're going to heaven or they're going to confession, yeah. would in fact be saved. Right. Um, it, although it doesn't remove the necessity of going to confession, right. you still have to go at the. If you wake up in the morning, time. yeah. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, "Oh, there's confessions at nine, but I don't want to go." <laughs> okay, <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, we've wandered around this one quite a bit, but yeah. uh, hopefully, gotten enough to help explain it a little bit. 
Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thank you and God bless. It looks questionable to me.